Hello, and welcome back to Diversity on Fire. This is Heather from New Hampshire. Nina from Iowa. And this is Ashley from Raleigh, North Carolina. Our goal at Diversity on Fire is to inspire you to think and act differently. We'll do this by sharing our open conversations about controversial issues on all types of diversity-related topics. All right. So today, we're coming in a little hot, guys. So today's Firestarter, we're going to be talking about how we are dealing with the massive amounts of negativity and discourse that we've seen and experienced over the last few weeks. And if we're honest, frankly, like most of 2020. Most importantly, we're going to address personal attacks and interactions that we've had in hopes to clear some emotionally charged energy and show support for others who are trying to hold things together without just burning their house down. Being advocates of diversity does not mean we don't have an opinion or an individual moral compass or that as individuals, we have to fully accept everyone and everything that we don't agree with. While the term diversity is clearly defined, that does not mean it fits neatly into your own personal interpretation of what it should or should not look like. Though it often seems that we as hosts share the same beliefs and worldviews, that is simply not the case. In fact, what you're hearing and assuming is us agreeing on every topic is rather a demonstration of what a truly open-minded and respectful conversation can look like. If all you hear and see are the things you expect and assume, then we strongly challenge you to open your mind and figure out what bias is triggering your inability to accept transparency when you hear or see it. We today are going to kick off with the definition of diversity. For those in the back, diversity. One, state of being diverse or variety. Two, the practice of equality, of including, involving people from a range of different social and ethnic backgrounds and of different genders, sexual orientations, etc. I'm going to hand it over to you guys at this point. Where do we want to start? Heather brought the fire today. And I wanted to say, hell yeah. I love it. (laughs) There are a lot of things that I am patient on, and I've been working really hard at accepting as much information as people put out and considering it. But once I've considered it, and I realize that you're coming for something that you shouldn't be coming for, I'm done. Not cool. Not okay. I had an interesting conversation at work uh, recently, just this week, about rational anger and irrational anger and what everyone is feeling this year, um, especially leading up to and following the election and with corona and with all of the things that are happening. And uh, in this particular example, the woman that I was talking to, she kept saying she was irrationally angry. And I was like, hang on a second, like, give yourself a little bit of credit. All of the things that are happening that are forcing us to behave in different ways that we've never behaved before, that are uncomfortable, that are making things tense and difficult. Those are things that you're allowed to be angry about. You don't have to have a solution, but it's important to feel those feelings and be like, I'm fucking pissed right now. That is relevant. That's that's relevant and relative and reasonable. All of that is okay and very rational. What's irrational is taking all of that rage and putting it in a space that's an easy target or behind a keyboard or from a place of safe anonymity because you just need to be angry at something and kind of abusing other people in that process. Everyone is feeling some shit right now. And I think what we're seeing a lot of is People are deflecting in ways that they've never had to before, and it's destructive. 
And that's, yeah, that's what I'm seeing a lot of is finger pointing and frustration and putting the blame where it doesn't belong. Like take accountability. If you're upset at something because you have a particular bias and it's triggering to you, that's okay. Dude, we all have those things, but you don't get to turn it around and pretend someone else is at fault for it. Yeah, that's, that's the, yeah, that. Totally. It's it's not okay to, to put it on somebody else. And then, and not only to do that, but to, like we're talking about having our show weaponized, um, but try to weaponize the other party into trying to take responsibility for your anger or for your malcontent or or anything like that. Because the reason that we have this podcast is because we have differing opinions and the, we're pretty opinionated and we're open to sharing that. But it doesn't mean I have to think what you think. It doesn't mean you have to think what I think. Uh, however, if you want to come at me for not thinking what I think and then try to value me as a person because I don't believe what you believe, especially if there's no real basis for it, then I don't have to stand for that. And I'm not going to. Right. Nor should you. And this, it sounds a little bit like a throwback to one of our first episodes when we were talking about kind of why these conversations were so important. And if we continue to foster diversity related conversation, naturally we're going to come across people and each other in ways that aren't copacetic. It's not going to always be rainbows and sunshine and unicorn glitter. Like sometimes like shit's going to go a little awry and it should like, that's how you learn. That's how you grow, but that shit's uncomfortable. That's not always fun. And so when we lose the ability to hear someone's opinion, that's different than ours and take it for anything other than a different opinion, that's where shit gets kind of crossways. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think that between the three of us, we all engage in interactions outside of this podcast in our own way. Some more aggressively, some not at all. (laughs) I just don't engage outside of these conversations. I refuse to participate in one-sided dialogue. I have massive respect for Those of you in the world who can do that, especially in times like these when everyone needs human contact, Nina, you're a champion. I could not, I could not exist the way that you exist. I would go absolutely insane if I dealt with the kind of things that you deal with and honestly welcome on a daily basis. I do. It's, I, you know, what's interesting about it is, um, cause a lot of these (laughs) conversations on that I have, end up trickling into side conversations where people come into my inbox and are like, you really are friends with these people. And sometimes in that moment, you're like, I don't know. (laughs) But right. I'm like, I find value in those people in other aspects, maybe not in this particular opinion, but that doesn't devalue them entirely because of one matter. You know, I love that you just said that. I found a couple things that um, I am going to take on as like my motto until we get a little more semblance of, I don't know, not insanity. One of them is this, and I don't know if you guys saw it, but I'm going to share it. It says, let me be clear. My love is unconditional, but your presence in my life is not. The moment that you prove your value of me does not measure up to my sense of self-worth, I'll have no problem unconditionally loving the memory of you and moving on. And I'm not one to cut people off quickly. And I I don't know that you guys are either. But I think it's important to remember the value 
of humans. Because Nina, what you just said, you know so many people that you don't agree with, but that doesn't mean you don't value them as a human. And in my opinion, that is a massive piece that is missing right now. We are looking at someone and we are saying, you are a bleeping idiot if you don't believe what I believe. And that's just not how things work. So I love that. I think that's beautiful. I think it's a fallacy to make an assumption ever that humans are capable of unconditional love. Dogs are capable of unconditional love. Dog will <laughs> love you unconditionally. Like, yeah. And might, I mean, that's, that's the way it is. I, my love is conditional. And I think that's something that I've kind of, we all talk, we talked to Ryan Grauman about this. All of us are working on boundaries, but I think conditional love is human nature. You love people. We all love people inside specific parameters. There are behaviors that you expect from people that you love. And it takes a lot of work to, to maintain that. That's, that's why marriages are so hard. That's why maintaining long distance friendships are so hard. Like you have to make sacrifices and choices and it's work to maintain human love. That said, I think now, especially just this, this fall, those last six months, we're in a state of polarization and more kind of tense disagreement than I think a lot of us have ever experienced on such a widespread scale. And it's forcing that love to be way more work than it usually is. And a lot of people are giving up. Like it's easier to lash out and fight than it is to work through loving someone that disagrees with you. It is. And so right now, when you say that, because that's, that's actually where I've, even through the course of just the time we've been doing this, ladies, since we've been doing this, I've really come to a place where I've had to recognize who deserves space in my life and who does not. But what I've recognized is there's a season for everything and honoring yourself also means that you don't have to put up with people who mistreat you. And it's okay to cut losses sometimes as well. And that's what Ryan talked about. That's boundaries. As far as that, um, I when I saw that and when I found that, it's for me, it's a way to wrap my head around. So we're going to go to the election. And one thing that I'm going to say out loud is I am really proud of our country as a whole for literally coming together and voting in record numbers. I think that's amazing. I think that is people making their voice heard that wouldn't normally do that. And I think that's a night that's amazing, right? So on the flip side of that, this particular election was extraordinarily divisive in terms of who you chose. I have personal feelings about it, but I also have, well, let's just go with the personal feelings about Tell it. Tell me so, all of your personal feelings. It's what I want to know. Well, here's the thing. I have family members that voted for the person that I didn't. And while I will say, and I said this to them, that I respect your right to vote for whoever you want. I can't understand. I just don't understand how we can look at the same person and see a totally different picture. That's really hard for me to understand. Now, with that being said, who you voted for is your choice. I may not understand it. I may not agree with it. That's your choice. But for me, one thing that's been very hard is to see family members jump on a conspiracy theory train because immediately I just, I want to be like, 
I, ooh, negative, negative, very negative Don't thoughts worry, I think we're all the about same these people that are in my family that I love. And I'm like, you can vote for whoever you want, but Jesus, you can't. I'm, uh, look, I'm sorry. This is like me being a jerk. Like, but so I hear you. I get it. I think the, the struggle isn't necessarily one side of the argument or the other side of the argument being stupid or, or, or unable to process or unable to see things. It's, it's the, what's frustrating is the inability to understand a perspective that's so wildly different, especially inside your family when those perspectives haven't been wildly different before. If I start waving my everybody go to therapy flag this early (laughs) in the conversation, I had a really great conversation with my therapist about what Trump and Trumpism is doing to families and is doing particularly to white Republican men. And in my life, white Republican men that I deeply love and care about. And it's, it's fascinating because these are men that I like, and this is my dad. I, he's the man by which I compare all other, like everybody stacks up to where my dad is. Like he's, he's the, he's the bar. He has said it. It's very, very high. And for me to disagree so fundamentally with him about something so important as like misogyny or like Hitler-esque tendencies or whatever else we want to talk about with regard to Trump, that's hard for me to process. And I think that struggle is what's causing a lot of the angst and frustration across the board. So is that fair? I think it is. And so what I would ask you as, because my family dynamic in this particular instance is actually cohesive. Um, but lucky you, because it's the only, it's the only thing my whole family agrees with the only thing ever. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, I seriously, I was trying really hard to think of something else where we all agreed that was like outside of our family and I couldn't come up with one. So, yeah. But for you, I was wondering, especially with what you brought to the table, is it because the life lessons that he instilled in you that helped him become so high? Um, it sets such a high bar. Does it feel like it's in conflict? One of the reasons it's as challenging as it is, is exactly what you just explained, which is all of the reasons that I've always respected my dad. A lot of that is rooted in the way that he treats my mom. The respect and just basic black and white, right and wrong attitude that my dad has always shown to and for and in defense of women doesn't add up to supporting Trump. Trump's a blatant misogynist. He is absolute shit to women. Everyone knows that. That's inarguable. But it is. That's the thing. Is people are arguing that. I They're- think in you're right. People are arguing that. In my dad's case, and the and the reason that we continue to be able to talk about these things is what my dad values in a presidential candidate isn't whether or not he's a misogynist. That's not important to him. What's important to him is small government, equal and fair tax rates, the, and being able to not be taken advantage of because he's successful. Those are his priorities and that's how he will vote. And he'll also probably want to light me on fire for paraphrasing his thoughts that way because he would do a far better job than I will explaining them to you. He just doesn't care that Trump's a misogynist or he doesn't believe it and we haven't quite covered that as much as we need to. So I can accept that as long as people, because okay. I feel like that's a Chris Christie version, right? Chris Christie is like, yeah, 
there's some things about Trump I don't like, um, but he aligns with my beliefs. I actually accept that with almost no problem. Is he in denial about the character or is he accepting that the character flaws exist? He's not in denial of the character. And he's even said to me, like, the guy's a dick. Probably wouldn't want to have a beer with him. That's just not important. And I think a lot of, I don't know, Heather, if the people that you're referring to or the people, the kinds of conversations that you've had fall into the same category. But with my dad specifically, it was a much bigger picture for him, which was, do you believe in states' rights? And do you believe in equal, equal and fair tax practices for all people? And that I think is, and this is where we had to kind of draw a line in the sand and say, we agree to disagree. And we had to walk out of the room. So I was like, I don't think either of those questions are as cleanly answerable as you're cleanly answering them. I think all of it is much more complicated. And where he drew his line in the sand was, it doesn't have to be, and nor, it doesn't get to be more complicated than this. You vote by what you believe. And for me, I was like, I believe this guy's a terrible representative of our nation and I don't want to listen to him talk for another four years. Yeah. So the the conversations that I've had, and I will admit that there are outstanding conversations and there are conversations that I straight up mm-hmm. shut down. Um, because if you can't, I mean, the actual conversation, the dialogue is important to me. So if all you can do is raise your mm-hmm. voice and 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 hit talking points that I've heard a million other people say that are baseless and substanceless. Substanceless? Is that um, a word? Lacking of substance? There you go. Now it is. Let, yeah, it I is feel now. like we, we add to the dictionary every time we do this. We add words. Yeah. We're good. I mean, this is positive. We can be a Beyonce. Um, like we mm-hmm. It'll be in the dictionary. So. Um, uh, you know, on, on the dad front. So my dad is... Uh, had a similar take, you know, his, well, in, in terms of his specifics, he doesn't like Trump. He thinks he's a POS, but he's okay with that because the actual politics of it is aligned with what is important to him. So that, and like, like you said, Nina, that I can accept. If you can outwardly just, you've, everyone does vote. And again, if I always say this, but like, if we're talking about diversity, I do think it's super important. I, for one, do not want a bunch of people who think the same as me. It's just it's not also interesting. And unsafe. It's, yeah, it's super And not boring. only that, it's legitimately not productive. Right. No. So if you can admit the reason why, you know, if you vote for one reason or another, then I I can accept that. I can digest that. I don't still don't agree with that. It's not my perspective. I personally, this is gonna sound cheesy. I think the president sets a precedent. And the precedent that has been set is very damaging and it has hurt a lot of people. And I don't care if small government is your goal. If you are basically telling half of your population, if the country, that they don't matter, that's that's not not okay. You can't do that. And that's where I am. Well, frankly, you can do that. I guess we proved that you can do that. The precedence is now set that you can do whatever the fuck you want as long as you're doing smaller tax brackets and things like that. And I'm, I'm not even going to get into it. turns out you don't get like, reelected, though. It turns out. That's what I was going to well, say. That's It turns out that, that what you may do is mobilize people in a way that hasn't happened in a century. Yeah. Um, hey, team, get out and vote. You guys won. That's pretty remarkable, the, the young turnout. I... 
So I agree with you, Heather, the the precedent, because that's where I'm at. I'm, I am character matters. And I think character matters above all, especially if you refuse to engage with the other side and everything you do is through sheer force of will, then the precedent that that is setting is extremely dangerous. And to me, it lends to towards authoritarianism. And I feel that has to be stopped. I was going to say, you're exactly right. And that was one of the giant red flags that was thrown leading up to the presidency, talking about the way that Trump was going to handle the election if it didn't go his way. It was like, this is terrifying. This kind of rhetoric is very scary. Like, it's very troubling. And I think that drove a lot of the vote. I do too. And we're watching it in, unroll in real time. So it wasn't, it wasn't just a myth, right? It wasn't just words. Now we're watching it unfold in real time. And it was as it appeared to be. And what would have been concerning for me, and it sounds like for you um, both as well, is that given an opportunity at having no guardrails, what could have, what, what more could have happened in four years that would have brought us closer to Margaret Atwood in The Handmaid's Tale? And I used to think that kind of stuff was just people waxing poetic, but it it does show you that there's things can change on a dime where democracy is in fact an action. It's, it's not, it's not a permanent state. It, it absolutely is fragile. Absolutely. The Handmaid's Tale, there was actually, I saw people lined up to vote dressed like that. I, I don't know that I would go down that rabbit hole personally. Um, and who knows? You just never, you literally, I'm even just stopping myself because you literally just don't know at this point. It's like every, everything has shifted outside of Correct. anything that's reasonable in my mind for, for many, for many things. But um, the other thing that has been really triggering to me, and I've heard multiple people say this, that they were so surprised and appalled that when the election was called, that people were so joyful and dancing in the streets and dancing in the hallways and just singing with joy. That, to me, I don't understand why you would be so upset seeing someone else's joy. You, like, and I don't, I'm not saying this right, but their anger at someone else being joyous. I cannot understand. I cannot understand. That's a side effect or a symptom of a much bigger disease. That's that's tribalism. That's my team didn't win, and so I'm pissed, and I'm even more pissed that you're happy that your team won. That's cancerous, toxic thought. I had an experience, so on whatever day it was called, I was, and Heather and I talked about this, but I was ferociously and just constantly refreshing my browser, watching the election results, tallying all of the things and like what could happen and what might happen and what's going to happen. And because of my family and because of the conversations that we've had, I was very conflicted. I've been conflicted in every election ever since I was able to vote. Like I just feel like the two party system's broken and we could have an entire discussion on that. But I didn't feel really strong feelings about really much of anything. And then when the election was called And I opened up my phone and I saw people dancing in the streets, people celebrating, people, people that are important to me shedding these tears of joy. 
after the last nine months, 10, 11 months that we've survived as a country together, like seeing that much unfiltered joy, I just stood in my kitchen and openly wept for like half an hour because I was like, oh, humans are happy. Like people are joyful. And I was absolutely floored with how much of an emotional reaction I had to other people's emotional reaction. It's contagious. I, I had the same reaction. I When it first was called, as you experienced, I also had that. It It just watching people's joy, just relief and just happiness together. It was something that has been missing in my soul for, for months. Like you said, I felt a sense of elation. I haven't felt in a long time and it wasn't the win and it wasn't the Biden. And I did mention this to Heather and other people. It wasn't, it was seeing that state in so many people in a way that I haven't in a while. And it was just like, Oh, humanity is still here. That's what I felt. Human joy and human joy for the sake of other human joy. Not, I get to be happy because I won and you lost. It, which I feel we, I mean, no one knows what would have happened or what will happen if things go awry again. But had the results when it was called been different, the emotional response of the country would have been very, very charged in a polar opposite way. And I think my dad and I have gone toe to toe on a lot of this, but the biggest problem my dad had with the Obama message of hope. And the idea that things could get better and the big problem I had with the Democratic campaign in general is hope and love and fluff and unity and handholding and like everyone kind of working together to do better is a really beautiful concept. The Republican Party and generally fiscal conservative people are like, yeah, we're on board with all of that, but who's going to pay for it? How's it going to get paid for And is it going to be paid for in a fair and equitable way? From the Democrat Party perspective, if you're only following the media and ads, the answer to those questions is no, it's not going to be paid for in an equitable way. And that I agree with. I don't, and this is why I do not believe in the two-party system and I'll never vote down the party line. Like, And we can have a whole conversation about that too, but the the need of the country to feel like we were all working together on something is the most powerful driver, I think, and why we all responded and emoted the way that we did as kind of a reaction to everything that's happened. But now the question is, all right, great. How are we going to do all the things we want to do? And how do we do it in a fair and equitable way? Well, I think, so that's that's a really good question. And I, I'm with you because actually on the flip side, it's funny you say in terms of like voting, we're, we're getting real into the election here, guys. I don't even like politics. But like in terms of voting, my ballot was not all one color. And if I'm being honest, I don't want the Senate to flip. And that's going to piss a lot of people off. I want there to be a strong balance. I want there to be a working together of two opposing forces because I think the best deals and the best policies will come out of bipartisan. And again, that's what we're fucking dealing with because we have to deal with a two-party system. But I think that is where the best work is going to come. The problem is I don't think that's going to happen this time around because it doesn't work as quickly as we want it to. We are so polarized. Heather, are you, are you referring to the productivity and general promise of diverse thought processes? 
I am. I think so. I truly believe that our system was set up to put people in place that have opposing views, to have them both fight to make sure that their voice and the, the voice of the people that, you know, feel the same way as them are put on board and come up with the best commingled solution. But that's not what we're doing. We don't have a balance of power. We have a freaking teeter-totter. We have, I'm going to come in and do all this stuff. And then the next one comes in and he rips out all the stuff the one did. And and we're just going back and forth. And that is stunting our progress. And it's stunting our ability to maintain being a wonderful, productive, amazing country. So how do we do that for us? How do we maintain that balance of power within our own individual lives. And by that, I mean having these conversations with people that we know and love or total strangers, making our opinion and thoughts known without making it be the only option. Empathy, which is way easier said than done. It's really hard to be empathetic. Mina has, yeah, it's really hard. So our our hot topic episode that we had recently was uh, we put out 12 steps on how to um, have difficult conversations or steps to engage with while we have hard conversations. So go back to that episode 20 um, if you want to hear that and you haven't yet. Those are really important. And it's funny when Nina and I were recording, (laughs) we recorded that. And then right afterwards, like right for both of us, things hit the fan on like a couple levels for both of us. (laughs) This is how you put skills into practice apparently. And I failed. But that's the thing. We are not coming here as like, we're amazing. Put us on a pedestal. We're coming here as real people. These are not unique thoughts. These are things that everybody is dealing with right now, one side or the other, because it really doesn't matter what side you're on. Everybody's dealing. So I think for me, if I just put myself out there, what I have decided to do, and I think this is, this is one of the steps that we put out there, is remind myself that if I'm going to engage in a conversation, I need to be ready for it. And so one of the tips was make sure you're emotionally ready to handle what that's going to entail. So if it's with a stranger, it's going to be a lot easier, right? Because you don't have any emotional ties to a stranger. So they're not going to really get under your skin as much. It's also really easy to lash out at a stranger. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But just make sure you're ready to have the conversation. And if you're not, that's totally fine. Just don't have it. And so I waited. I didn't say anything to anybody for a few days in terms of people that I knew were going to be in disagreement with me and people that I knew did something that I couldn't possibly understand. And then when we had the conversation, I was able to have it in a different way. So that's for me. That's how I'm kind of keeping myself calm is like reminding myself that my value and my self-worth is up to me to withhold. Um, No, up to me to keep, uh, to uphold. What the heck? I can't even talk. It's been a stressful couple of weeks. It's up to me to maintain. It is my responsibility to, because we always say you can't necessarily dictate what happens to you, but you can dictate how you react to it. That's true. So I think Eleanor Roosevelt said that the best at one point. That whole locus of control thing, right? And part of it, Mm -hmm. and this is a part I'm personally working on, part of it is people are lashing out 
at least for me, my experience is the lashing is coming at me and uh, people are attempting to define my beliefs for me. And so they are weaponizing my, what they anticipate my beliefs to be. I feel I'm pretty clear about my beliefs. I feel I state them pretty clearly, but there's been a desire to twist what I've said and say something else with it and then assign that to me. So I think that I hear both of your perspectives and validate you wholly because I think we're all on the same page about that. I think where Nina, where I have so much respect for the kinds of conversations that you engage with on a daily basis, especially on social media and kind of the creating essentially a breeding ground for diverse thought and controversy and productive controversy, being able to hear someone who has a different opinion of yours. I think you do such a brilliant job with that. I think where a lot of the kind of turmoil and emotional kind of angst and anxiety and frustration comes from is where you start to have really important, passionate conversations with people that you don't care about. And I think where like one of the things that I've worked on, especially during this season is, is the person that I'm talking to more important to me than feeling like I'm right. And in the case, like with my dad, it's like my relationship with my dad is more important to me than feeling like I'm right or feeling like I'm heard or feeling like I'm validated. Maybe someday we'll be able to come to a sense of agreement or understanding and empathy about the election that happened in 2020. Maybe not. But when we got to a point where I was like, we can no longer have a conversation that's healthy and productive about this, both of us chose to walk away. And I think that's something that I've always really struggled with in life. I've never been able to walk away, especially once I dig in, my heels are like, my claws are out and I'm ready to go. Like, Ooh, I'm like let's I have second that. Like, I'm like, no, 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 we're finishing this now. And it's something that like, I've, I've really, really had to work on where I was like, no, no, no. Being right and having a sense of resolution within this conversation is not as important to me as this person that I'm talking to. And being able to take a step away and, you know, sleep on it for a night or even take a couple hours, go for a walk, do something else. Let whatever emotional kind of escalation that took place de-escalate to be able to have kind of a level-headed conversation. I think a lot of people forgot how to do that. And it's very, very destructive to, I would rather still be able to talk to you than be right right now. Yeah. It's, and I, and I think that's, you know, what we said in the beginning of this episode in terms of like sounding like we're all agreeing. I think that that's what we're doing here is we're demonstrating exactly what you just said. Like we do things and it's hard for people to maybe understand that from just a podcast, but we all do things very differently in terms of our daily interactions mm-hmm. and and just communication across the board and social media obviously our queen is Nina <laughs> Nina is but the like queen. across the, across the board like we all do things very differently but when we come here it sounds like we're all agreeing and in some cases we really are but i think what we're really agreeing on is that we have enough respect for each other that the conversation is going to remain respectful we can walk away if we need to. Right. I think Nina talks to more people on a weekly basis than I do in an entire year. Cause I yeah, talk to too. you guys and then like four <laughs> other people for the rest of the week. <laughs> we all operate very differently. I think that's our beauty, frankly. And the nice thing about us is that, you know, when we do 
have concerns about how the other others other whatever between us are thinking we just ask and then we talk it out that that is the point because we're not always in lockstep at all right we ask inside this safe space that we've created where this is this is like a little family right so like i know that we may disagree on some big issues we may think differently or have different perspective or different experience that colors or shades our opinions but the root of who the two of you are are the kind of people that I want in my life, like in a long-term permanent way. It doesn't matter all of the frill and like whatever color you paint it. Like the important part is the people that you value for the right reasons get to keep a kind of a permanent place in your life, regardless of whatever the current climate is. And when it gets hard to love people because you disagree, you got to work harder and not love less. So... Seek first to understand. Amen. Amen. And that is so critical. I mean, honestly, you can't overstate that. And understand that you may not always understand and that's okay, but you you can still accept that, right? So we were talking earlier about this, this mind blowing concept of looking at the same person or the same thing and seeing it in a completely different way. I don't, I'm never going to be able to look through their lens. Ashley, I think you've said this before. We've had this discussion. Like everybody's lens that they look through is formed and created by their experiences, by their thoughts. I'm not in your head. I didn't live your life. So I'm not ever going to be able to see it through your lens. So on that aspect, maybe I'm never going to understand, but at least I'm seeking that out. And I can accept when we have a rational adult conversation, not laced with names and venom and vitriol. Exactly. <laughs> like, like we can we can come to the conclusion that like, cool, I get it. You have this thought and we don't agree, but I can respect that. I mostly. Yeah, I know. Mostly. And I think even <laughs> this discussion is important in the sense that you guys are dealing with familiar relationships. I'm not. And so the takeaway I give to people who are having problems with social media is, especially if it's on a wall, take it down a second, go to DM, have the discussion there away from everyone. So there's some saving face and it's not so hot. You can, you can take the temperature down because what happens on my wall where people really ratchet up, some of my friends are extraordinarily defensive of me. But sometimes it really increases the the temperature. We love those friends. Like, let's leave a literal fire starter out here. So I would like to say to the audience, if you know anybody who is well-versed in the digital realm of communication, we're talking about social media, we're talking about texting, we're talking about emails. If you know anybody who has experience or knowledge in that area, We would love to talk to them. So if you could connect them with us, because this is not going away. And the way that people interact online is very important to our ability to do what we're trying to do, which is respect each other in communication. 
So, Ooh, are you saying like a like a communication specialist that focuses on digital conversation? Yes. Ooh, how fascinating. Don't you think that would be amazing? I would love to have an entire conversation about emojis and what they're doing to the dialogue. <laughs> emojis and like <laughs> I acronyms too. like and the next generation being completely incapable of expressing themselves without a visual context, like I'm a little bit guilty of that too. No, I talk what? So I can, but I use a lot of emojis. So oh, do man. I. I love them. I love them too, but I hate them. For example, instead of right. having a discussion with somebody who made a point, then your response is a laughy face, which enrages people. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. true. And, and you know what? When we're doing that, we're weaponizing it. Right. Because because I I did it I honestly I did it recently, and I, no, I it was it. like a smart ass way of doing it. But it's just it's so petty. We would love to talk to someone like that. So if you know anybody, we are in search of someone that can give us some insight on maybe how to better handle these situations for all involved and save the beauty of written and oral communication. <laughs> yes. Do you guys have anything like in terms of thoughts? Or ideas on best ways to handle something that has gotten too heated. Suggestions. Okay, so this is unfair because of COVID. But if I am in a heated situation, the most effective way to immediately decrease the temperature is to hug the person I'm talking to. Ashley is a hugger who goes to therapy. Therapy and hugs all around. Seriously, if everybody hugged more and everybody had a therapist, the world would be a beautiful place. But I did this and this is like, this is irresponsible because COVID's real and it's, it's something that's scary for a lot of people. But I was walking through downtown Raleigh and there's this little beautiful old woman who runs a bookstore on a corner of downtown Raleigh who's been, the store has been closed. And and our downtown is boarded up. It just looks like a war zone. Like it's just been bad for months. And she, and I caught her as she was going out of the store. And I asked her a quick question. We had this beautiful conversation out of nowhere. It was just like two strangers just on the sidewalk. She wanted to pet the dogs. And I asked her, I was like, we both had masks on because we were walking around. I was like, can I hug you? Would that be okay? And she was like, absolutely. And I bear hugged this woman. I did not know. I was like, I haven't hugged a stranger in almost a year. And it was just medicine for my soul. And I don't like, I know not everybody wants to be hugged and not everybody's a hugger, but I think if I, if there was anything that I could depart to the world in terms of, or impart to the world in terms of like how to manage these heated conversations we're having all the time, it's just to take a step back and remember that the person that you're talking to is more important than being right. And express that in whatever way you need to. Mwah. Don't elbow bump because that's weird. But yeah, like just be be a human talking to another human, not an opinion talking to an opposing opinion. Love it. Nina, where you got? So hugs do have proven medicinal value. I just want to say that. Um, but um, But what I'd say is if you can't give a physical hug, you can do a online hug. And I had a friend who we hadn't spoken in months because of our, we are polar opposites in terms of our belief systems. And we had a conversation that got so heated, we quit talking for months. But what I will say is we did not defriend each other. Even when we were fighting and it, it got pretty bad. It was like, I love you, but I hate you right now. That's a win. Um, and so I'm not going to talk to you for a while. I'm not defriending you. Like that's honestly the discussion we had. And, um, um, 
But I found myself missing her because once again, she has value to me and I enjoy the things that we enjoy together. And I sent her a message and I said, we can't be on each other's Facebook feeds right now. It's that would not be good, but I do care about you and I miss you. And I was thinking about you and I hope you're doing well. And she responded almost immediately. I've been thinking about you too. It is possible to have that. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? I'm going to play off that, Nina. And I'm going to say that we did talk a lot about the election and politics. I think it's really important to remember that you love those people, that you love those people that might not have the same opinion on how things should be done. So for me, it's maybe just taking a second and taking a breath and remember, I guess, Ashley, this is kind of what you said too. It's just the person is more important because when I look at it, when I back up a little bit and I look at it from like a wider vantage point, I know a lot of people that are really good people that voted differently than me. And you know what? If I can say you're a really good person, then I don't get to tell you that, you know, I don't get to, well, I can, but I should not sacrifice that because of a difference of opinion. Right. So for me, it's just that. Remember, you love the person. Remember, you love the people. Remember that people, people, humanity, humans are important. And we'll figure it out from there. That we will. Uh, <laughs> to close this out, uh, since came in a little hot, I'm going to uh, embrace the softer side. Um, so to close out this episode, I want to extend the most sincere and heartfelt thank you to you two ladies. You guys seriously show up every single week and we bear our truth to an unfiltered audience. The transparency that we have all shown up for, the self-reflection that we all get on a, I mean, I'm speaking for myself and based on conversations, like the learning and growth that we have done is bar none. Here I was thinking we'd make it through an episode without crying. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel the same because I I feel like I've grown so much and I also have realized where I need to grow still. And I credit both of you for continually to push me to be better. Same. We are learning and growing together and it is really amazing. It's beautiful. And I didn't realize how badly I missed conversations like this and how badly I need them and how much we, the three of us are, we're being the change that we want to see in the world. And I'm very proud to be a part of this and deeply grateful for the opportunity to talk to you guys and to the rest of the world every week. In our tiny little corner of the world. It matters. It matters to somebody. It can change somebody's life. People have had that effect on all of us in some way. And so I think we also want to thank you as a listener right now. If you're listening to this and if you've made it through this hour, it's because you've committed to hearing what we have to say and you're giving us a shot. And we appreciate you. And we want you to know that we absolutely do not take you for granted whatsoever. And it's a choice that you made. And it's a choice we appreciate. Re-motherfucking-tweet. I was waiting for Ashley to say that. I agree. I like that a lot. Retweet, retweet. Well, we did it again. Came out swinging. Said stuff that you may or may not have liked or may or may not have agreed with. 
And for that, we're not going to apologize because our goal here is to inspire you to think and act differently. And we can't do that by providing an echo chamber. So we will continue to share our thoughts and be as transparent as possible. Please know that we encourage you to do your own research and come to your own conclusions. We really love diversity of thought. Thank you, as always, for joining us. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss or if you'd like to be a guest on our show, please reach out by email, info at diversityonfire.com or leave us a voice note. The link for that can be found in the show notes. We would very much appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcast. It does help more people find the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. Please share the show with everyone you know so more people can join in these important conversations. Nina, your audio. It sounds like a poltergeist. Okay, you're normal now.